Welcome everyone to How Winners Win. I am Daniel Blue. As always, I'm joined by my co-host, Kitao Spears, a.k.a. Hi Key. What up, winners? Man, this is the second time, winners, that I'm just going to be very transparent with you. I'm jealous because Kita is not next to me like he always is. He is in Hawaii for the second time. Kita, how's Hawaii right now? Man, if, if I could tell you perfect as a weather, if I could describe it, it's about 77 degrees, wind blowing, palm trees outside my window blowing, oceans probably 100 yards away. Uh, I really cannot complain when you're living in paradise so it's it's tough i'm sorry for you blue it was about 85 degrees and 90 percent humidity right now back home yeah you know it was i went on a little baby six mile run this morning and it was only 85 degrees it was nice and chilly i needed to get a windbreaker on so um well good stuff man well uh, we're, we're excited for today because we've got a guest that uh, definitely is gonna share some things with you guys that I know is going to help each and every one of you with the current situation, everything that we're going on, um, that's going on right now. So a little bit about Chris Miles. He goes by the cash flow expert, anti-financial advisor. I love that, Kita, right? Because we, you know, Kita and I have helped a ton of people over the years accessing their retirement accounts, penalty and tax-free. I know we've pissed off some financial advisors, haven't we, Kita? I've gotten a call. I've gotten a call from at least a handful. You know, oh, saying, oh, yeah. Dude. You know, what are you doing? You know, like you can't be taking my clients like this. Right. Well, do better. Yeah, exactly. Do better. So when I saw that, Keith, I was like, oh, Chris is a badass. I want to talk to him. So back to Chris. He's a leading authority teaching entrepreneurs and professionals how to get their money working for them now. He's an author, podcast host of the Chris Miles Money Show. It's a really good show, guys. Go check that out. It's on all the major platforms. He's been featured on US News, CNN Money, Entrepreneurs on Fire, Bigger pockets and has a proven reputation with this company money ripples getting his clients fast financial results and in fact his personal clients have increased their cash flow by almost 300 million in the last 12 years and last but not least his last name is miles and this dude runs marathons how how cool is that Keita? your last name is miles and you're just out here running marathons i'm freaking jealous yeah. I'm about to change my name to money. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to keep talking money from now on, no guys. Shit. Chris Miles, welcome to the show, bro. Hey, it's a pleasure to be on. Good stuff, good stuff. So I always like to ask this question, especially someone with your kind of pedigree. How did you end up getting into the financial space? I know, you know, you wrote down notable achievements in third grade. You got fifth place in a spelling bee. I know third grade Chris Miles was not like, I want to help people achieve financial freedom. So how, how did, uh, how did all this come about? Well, I mean, it started out me studying how to spell stuff. And uh, I mean, eventually, I mean, that that word piece, like piece of cake, the I before E except after C got me. I would have got first or second if it weren't for that stupid word, you know. But, uh, you know, from that point on, you think I would have no more hope in my life, right? You think that that's it. I, I can't win anymore because uh, fifth place is the best I can get. But no, uh, I, I did definitely start out wanting to do things with the financial arena. Um, although I did grow up watching Growing Pains. And uh, shows like that, or even Family Ties. If you guys remember Family Ties, oh yeah, uh, with Michael P. Keaton, you know, uh, mm -hmm. uh, shoot, Michael J. Fox, right? Uh, or sorry, Alex P. Keaton. That's right, Michael J. Fox's character, where he was all about economics and money. Something about that did fascinate me. Um, I, I was raised by a dad that was like the penny pinching 
ultimate saver. He would have been like Dave Ramsey's older brother that Dave Ramsey looked up to, right? Like mm. he was so penny pinching tight that uh, even Dave Ramsey would be in awe. And uh, so my dad was the one that taught me about money a little bit. And, you know, but the thing is, he would always say things like, but we can't afford it. You know, money doesn't grow on trees. We think I am made of money, you know, or the worst one was, you know, I think I'm going to work until I'm dead, which I thought, well, that's sucky. That's not the life I want. You know, I want something better than that. So when I went to college, you know, I was actually going into sociology with a triple minor in ballroom dancing, Japanese and psychology. And, uh, and while I was doing that, I, I wanted to be a business consultant. I thought, well, if I'm going to be a business consultant, I should have real life business experience. So I dropped out of college with one course to, to complete to get my bachelor's, dropped out, just take a one-year hiatus to become an entrepreneur. I'm like, well, what am I going to do? Well, the opportunity came up to be a financial advisor. I didn't realize they would hire anybody off the street. I thought you really had to be smart about money. You know, I didn't realize that financial advisors weren't financial experts. They're actually more like this, you know, which is they're paid to sell you crap, not actually make you more money. Right. So oh, dude, I want that. Uh, I want that my shirt. shirt says the definition Please of financial send a couple right our way. Yeah, bro. We'll <laughs> definitely buy some. Is that your own merch? That's my own. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> I love that. Send. Okay, guys. He's got a, but, uh, yeah, we link in the bio. Let's, let's, let's get, let's get a shirt. <laughs> Check it I out. Know, I got to start doing merch stuff here, but, uh, but uh, you know, that's the next money thing. Right. But, uh, but anyways, I became a financial advisor and, uh, and you know, I enjoyed being my own boss and everything. I want to live the dream. But, you know, like after a few years, I remember my dad, instead of giving me advice, started asking me for advice. And so I go back to Oregon where I grew up, sat at his table, the same table he was giving me financial advice at. And as I'm sitting there, he's like, Chris, I'm 61 years old. What else can I do? Now, understand, this guy had saved really well. He paid off his house early. He was stumping all this money in his 401ks, everything that every good boy and little girl should do. But... When I met with him, I said, dad, well, based on what I'm seeing here, let's just hope that after you retire, you die within five years because you'll be out of money in about five or six years. Social security will help you. Um, maybe it'll get to seven or eight years to stretch it out a little bit, but you're going to have to hope you die soon after retirement because you just don't have enough to live on based on your even just a cheap lifestyle that you have. And of course, he, I mean, he got beat up by Y2K and not long after there was the recession that hit and everything else. So he was watching his retirement accounts get slapped left and right, you know? And, and that was a shocker to me because, I mean, again, he did everything right, but he still couldn't be financially free. Even worse, when I started to really be honest with myself and I looked around, I looked at clients that I had inherited from other financial advisors, they weren't financially free either. And so, you know, even with decades of advice, they still were in the same bucket as my dad. And worse than that, I vowed not to become like my dad, but guess what? I was living cheap. You know, I, I, that 85 degrees, I made sure that the AC didn't kick on until it hit about 80, right? Um, you know, turn on the heat only when it hit 62 in the house because I was trying to be penny pinching cheap, just like my dad, save everything in those mutual funds to hopefully someday have something. And in truth, I was on the same stupid path that he was on. And at that moment, I felt like a complete liar and a deceiver. I thought, I, I was like, this is stupid. Like, how can I keep teaching this stuff? You know, it's, it, it should work, right? Everybody teaches it. Why doesn't it work? Well, uh, that's why I took a different path, you know, kind of like the path you guys discovered, right? I started going more of the, I started finding guys that actually were retired in their twenties and thirties and they were business owners. They were guys, not just business owners though. They were guys that were actually investors. They were doing alternative investments, things like real estate investing, things like that. 
And, and so I, I vowed at that point, you know, I, 2006, I quit. I said, I'll never be a financial advisor again. I'll never teach about money. I'll just teach ballroom dancing and be a mortgage broker and do these alternative investments. And that's what I did. You know, I started doing that. And then, uh, of course, you know, once you, you actually achieve that financial independence, I did that later that year and I was only 28 years old. Then of course, everybody's like, well, how the heck did you do it? You know, so then everybody wants to know how you did it. Right. So 2007, I came out of retirement to teach people how to do that very thing, how to actually get out of the rat race and, uh, and actually do the opposite of what financial advisors teach. Cause that's what helped me is that once I started doing the opposite of everything financial advisors taught, that's when I actually had hope. And uh, versus you know, trying to follow my dad's path, which already had proven, plus many other clients as well. And really, I know millions of people are in the same boat as him or worse. They're just not there. Even though it's been all this overpromise, under underdelivered from financial advisors and the whole industry telling you, you'll be able to be financially re- free and retired by age 65. The truth is you can't. Um, you can't if you just do the same old traditional crap that hasn't worked for everybody else. What, uh, 28 years old, making moves, financial success, what, what were some things that, that you did that allowed you to, you know, have a, a really good year that year? And it sounds like that was a pivotal, pivotal year in your life that set you up for the future. So what were some things maybe leading up to it or that year that you did that allowed you to, to win financially? Yeah, there's really three key things. Um, one, I started getting to know my money better, right? Now, I was tracking my money. I had simple finances back then. I only had two kids in May of 2006. My second child was born. I now have eight. Um, six are my own. Two are from my wife's previous marriage, right? Um, but, uh, but back then, it was very simple finances. I dumbed it all down, paid off some loans and credit cards, things like that. I was down to like 3500 bucks a month. So I was like, okay, now I'm at 3,500 a month. Now I know the goal to get to with my passive income. And, uh, and that was, and that was the thing is like, as a financial advisor, you're, you're so myopically, you know, narrowly focused on trying to just build up this huge accumulation of money, right? It's like a squirrel trying to gather nuts. Uh, by the way, interesting fact, 76% of nuts that squirrels save up, they lose. They never actually find them again. <laughs> and they become more acorn trees. So it helps mother nature, but it doesn't help them. They, they just live off really about 24% of their nuts, kind of like financial advising, right? Um, but that's what I was supposed to do. I was supposed to just gather up all this money, save it all in these mutual funds. And hopefully if I had $2 million, I could live on a whopping $60,000 a year. That was my goal um, before. But then I realized like, wait a minute, to be financially free, it's not about how much I accumulate. It's how much income's coming in passively that covers my expenses. So I need at least 3,500 a month. So a few key things I did. Uh, one, I started looking at investments that actually provided cash flow, like rental real estate, things like that. Uh, so like, I remember like real estate was kind of up on the rise. I had a cheap, crappy starter home, sold it, leased it back, and then subleased it out to try to create rental income, pull out all the equity, went to try to use that equity to invest and, and create some passive income, right? Um, I was also doing some things too, where um, one of the guys that was became a mentor of mine, he was a millionaire and uh, he was asking me, he's like, Chris, do you like doing mortgages? Because that's what I was you know, doing for a profession at that point. Once I quit being a financial advisor, I said, well, I like teaching people and I like to give them the ideas and tell them what to do with it, but I hate, just despise paperwork. He said, well, why don't you find a nerd that likes to do paperwork? I said, come on, nobody likes to do paperwork. Chris, I guarantee someone likes to do paperwork. 
So I went to the, the, the owner of the mortgage brokerage and I said, is there somebody in the company here that's kind of a nerd that actually likes to do paperwork, is good on the back end that I can work a deal with? And he said, yeah, Clark, go talk to Clark. So I did. I was like, Clark, if I just send people to you and you do all the work, will you cut it 50-50 with me? He's like, you find them and get them ready to buy so I don't have to convince them to do that? If I don't have to sell anything? Absolutely. I said, deal. You got it. And that's what we did. And the cool thing was that I used to work dang hard to make maybe a few thousand bucks on a mortgage case, right? And they would call me at all hours of the night. I'd say, hey, it takes about three weeks to close on this mortgage. And they call the next day. Is it going to close yet? Like, I told you, three weeks, stop calling me, right? It's like, I'm trying to go to bed. And, uh, and so now, like, they're calling him, you know, and they're dealing with him. And then I get a check for like a thousand or 1500 bucks. I'm like, that was easy. I spent a half hour with these people and it got my wheels turning. I'm like, I could do this in other places. So I remember there was a wholesale jeweler in Salt Lake City that I knew. I was like, I can go to them because I know they have a referral program. I get a kickback if someone actually saves money on buying their engagement rings or their wedding rings because I was in my 20s at the time. Everybody was getting married, right? So I was referring to that. I would get checks in the mail from that. And I start referring to a couple other businesses. So I, you know, people call that now affiliate, but it was just, I was doing no marketing at all. It was just simply friends would say, yeah, I'm trying to find, you know, a good company that does blank. And if it was a company I actually knew or people I knew, I was like, hey, do you guys have a referral program? I would get paid off that too. So I actually accelerated to getting you know, to the point where I was out of the rat race faster because I started having residual income checks coming from there. I had passive income checks coming from my, my investments like real estate. And then the next thing I know, I'm making four to $5,000 a month and I'm only working a couple hours a week. Like, And this is before Tim Ferriss wrote the four-hour work week. I was actually living it before he wrote the book. you know. And, uh, and it, it blew my mind. I did, I, I never thought it could be that easy. You know, um, it was like hitting that easy button, you know, staples, easy buttons. Like that was easy. It, it was really just a mind blower because remember in my mind up to that point was I got to save up and work and, and sacrifice and suffer and not take any vacations with my family for the next 15 years. And then I can live on 60,000 a year. Yeah. I'll be free. Right. No, I was, I was making almost that. That same year, uh, just by doing really just focusing on that cash flow, that passive income, or even in that other case, even like residual income as well. Interesting. So, you know, what's funny, I'm sorry to interject. You know, what's funny when you're telling that story, Chris, is that it's almost as if if the mentor wasn't there, you would have still been grinding your gears and and going in in the same motion that you were in. And I feel like the reason why it, you got that easy button moment is because you got clarity from an outside perspective on, do you actually like the steps that you're taking to get to the goal that you're claiming that you want to work so hard for? And once you actually right. defined and looked at what you're actually doing to get the dollars that you're, you're, you're working for, and you're able to outsource it to somebody that actually enjoyed doing the mundane tasks that you didn't like, it just basically 10x the speed that you got to where you were trying to go. Because like you said, it would have probably took 15 years on the standard work hard, nose to the grind, no vacation. But basically just, you were able to, yeah, yeah, you were literally able to collapse time by getting that, that outside perspective. So how important is mentorship do you feel in these kind of breakthrough moments? Because, you know, without, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, I think you still would probably have been spinning your gears for a little bit longer had you not got that clarity. Oh, yeah, it's. Like having a mentor doesn't say anything about your your intelligence, except that you're even more intelligent for doing it, right? The most intelligent people know they need 
outside perspectives. They need to see those kind of things. Uh, the people that usually are the most ignorant are the ones that think they got it all figured out, right? Um, those are the people that ironically don't get the results. They don't win. Um, the people that actually win are the people that say, I need to surround myself with intelligent people because I'm an intelligent person. I know what it takes. You know, I need other intelligent people to help me, you know, really get that perspective. Um, and I didn't even say, I mean, like it, there actually was one key question he asked me before that led up to that, that, that idea. Cause he actually had asked me, he said, Chris, if money were no issue, what would you spend your time doing? What would you do? And I understand that. Remember my goal was always like, just get to the number. Right. But it was never about what's beyond the number. It's kind of like, you know, in martial arts, like, and I'm not a martial artist, right? But I have friends that are in martial arts. They talk about like, when you punch, you don't punch the target, you punch through the target, you go past it, you shoot past it. See, I was always looking at the target. He was saying, look beyond it. What is it you would actually spend your time doing? And of course I gave the same BS answer, like, oh, I'll travel. It's like, Chris, will you really travel 52 weeks out of the year? Oh no, that sounds exhausting. That sounds horrible. Okay. So the other 45 weeks out of the year, Chris, what would you do? And, and the only thing you come up with at the time is like, well, maybe I'll just teach ballroom dancing. I really like teaching and I love ballroom dancing. I was actually one of the nation's top amateur ballroom dancers at the time. And I'm like, Incredible. I'd probably do that. And he's like, cool, then do that. Find a way to do that. You know, um, The interesting thing is I did that for a little bit, but I ended up realizing that the real passion was teaching. Like I really love teaching. And that's what led me to what I'm doing right now, right? Which is why I've kind of become more of a mentor in the financial space because, you know, although I can help people with ballroom dancing, there's plenty of people that can teach you how to ballroom dance. Heck, find any Russian. You can find somebody to teach you how to ballroom dance. But there's very few people in the world that can that are willing and can actually do, teach um, to say, hey, here's how I've become financially independent myself and helped others do the same. Here, let me give you the shortcut, kind of that wormhole path, right? The kind of you know, lightning, almost like light speed, you know, to that destination you're trying to get to versus figuring out on your own. Because I've had plenty of people, very intelligent people, brain surgeons, even, you know, people like that, that still they look at their money, they don't see it. But then I can say, like, well, look, if you do this, this, and this, we just cut off, shaved off five, 10, 15, 20 years of you trying to spin your wheels, get into that, you know, that holy grail of financial freedom, we just shortcutted that process because we just looked at it from a different perspective, a different light that I can see that maybe you wouldn't. When, uh, one thing that comes to my mind, Chris, is you know the show How Winners Win is premised on you know, how can we help people win in their entrepreneur life, their financial life, their, their personal life. And you know a lot of our listeners are juggling a lot right? Maybe they have a nine to five, but they've got a side hustle or they've got a full on business with employees. Um, where I'm getting at is, you know, maybe they don't have the kind of exposure that they want to have in real estate and investing in real estate is something that's being talked about a whole lot, especially with the economy not doing well with the stock market and equities and things of that nature. Can you walk us through what was that first deal like in terms of the deal that helped you kind of get some passive income uh, on the real estate side? Can you kind of share, you know, what, what that looked like? Yeah, I mean, it was, it was pretty simple. Now, I did it the way that I would not recommend today. Um, you know, I did it where I took my starter home, turned it into a rental after pulling out all the cash, right? And then investing that cash into other deals, whether it's private lending, you know, where you're lending it to other people to make money and paying you interest and things like that. You know, I wouldn't necessarily recommend that would be the strategy for everybody to do. In fact, if I said that was a strategy, you should probably question my motives and say, oh, he's probably trying to sell me some crap, right? Um, 
but but you know that's that's basically what I did. I mean, it was pretty simple. Um, you know, even though I tried to do some creative things, the creative fancy little stuff that I started to do later, it, it actually was stupid. Um, it was more active investing. It was like buying my own backyard. Like for example, today um, I, I live in Utah. Um, I would not recommend anybody buy a real estate property anywhere, in the, really in the Western United States. You know, if you're trying to buy rentals now, if it's apartment building, maybe in certain pockets, but for the most part, um, I'm telling people look east. You know, look to the Midwest, for example, or the Southeast, where there's way better cash flow, way better deals than anything you'll find out here. So, you know, where I kind of went in my own backyard to buy real estate, most people I tell today don't buy in your own backyard. And for, for the most time, for the most time, when people talk about real estate being a bad deal, it's because they went and they just try to do it on their own, figuring it out. Right? They didn't have that somebody who actually had experience doing it. They just said, "Oh, this seems like a good idea." People, all millionaires have one thing in common, uh, besides having over a million dollars, um, it's having real estate, right? So I should do that too. It's like, no, it's not copying copying the strategy because that's bad. Um, it's about focusing on the right things. And so I, I focus on profit with real estate and cash flow. I don't worry about how much appreciation there can be. That's the mistake I made because I'll tell you, I got out of the rat race in 2006, but by the end of 2007, I was back in the rat race again. I was actually in the hole by over $15,000 a month. Um, no primarily because I started getting overconfident because, you know, late twenties, I'm thinking I'm all that in a bag of chips, you know, and obviously it was a cheap, crappy Lay's simple potato chip, not like the good potato chips, not like even Doritos, right? It was like just crappy Lay's, no, actually not even Lay's. It was a generic, it was like Western family, you know, <laughs> that kind of potato chip is what I was doing. Like I was nothing, right? But I thought I was something. And so I started gambling because I thought, well, if I buy a hundred thousand dollar property and it appreciates, because in in two thousand six everything was appreciating. Oh five, oh six, it was a great market. Even going into oh seven, so I'm like, well, if I buy a hundred thousand dollar property, it appreciates ten percent. I make ten thousand bucks. But if I buy a five hundred thousand dollar property and appreciates ten percent, I make fifty thousand bucks. So I should do that. Um, that was my downfall right there. Uh, between that, I stopped tracking my money. Remember, I was saying I, I got clear on what my money numbers were. Well, when money was coming in like air, it's just like when you have an abundance of air, you don't really count your breaths. But man, when that air runs out, you're counting every single breath. Um, and so I wasn't counting my money. I was just letting it, you know, I was spending it, doing whatever I wanted. I bought the nice McMansion to wow people because I was trying to put the stuff out in front of me to show that, hey, look at my value. But I really, I just put my stuff out in front of me because I had no confidence in myself. I lacked my own self-worth. So I threw out stuff as that, that, uh, really that, that front, right? To kind of put out in front of me and say, look at how valuable I am. And between that and everything else, and then of course the recession hit and I was focused on you know people that when the recession hit, that was like the worst market to focus on. It was actually real estate gamblers. <laughs> so we're focused on real estate investors and then they couldn't pay us. And then I, and I had the brand new business I had launched. Plus um, my real estate wasn't doing great anymore because I stopped focusing on cash flow, right? I stopped focusing on profit, like I just mentioned earlier. Um, and then, of course, you know, I'm, you know, in the hole because I started spending a lot of money. So the next thing I know, I'm in the hole, fifteen, sixteen thousand dollars a month. I went over a million dollars in debt before I started to really dig back out of it. Mm -hmm. um, so I went from like millionaire to upside down millionaire, um, really in about a space of about two years. And it was pretty a pretty huge slice of humble pie I had to take. And uh, and that's when I realized, okay, I got to do this better. And so I did dig out of it. And I know that's a whole other story. Maybe we go into it. Maybe we don't. 
Um, but I was able to dig out of it with no money and no credit. Um, I just had to create in my business. I had to really create more income and be responsible with my money to the point where by the end of 2016, I was financially independent again the second time. This time around, I was much wiser. I wasn't going for the, the sexy investments. Um, pretty much for me, the boring investments became sexy, right? The boring ones that just keep paying you on a regular basis. They may not be the highest potential re- earnings, but I wanted low risk, high returns. And so that's why I started focusing on the second time around where I was buying like turnkey real estate properties. Um, I stopped managing it myself. That was a mistake I made because I was a crappy property manager. Um, I started focusing instead on having somebody else do all the work for me. Um, I started buying into like things like syndications. You know, you guys probably talk about that on the show too, you know, where I'm put, pulling money together and, and buying into apartment deals or into like oil and gas right now, which has been awesome. Or um, I even have a partnership, a business partnership where they're buying and selling raw land and, and I'm getting paid on terms on that and making killing on that too. So everything was focused around creating that cash flow, having stable, multiple streams of income coming in so that even if one of them shut off, I'm still okay. And uh, I mean, now the active income is just gravy. It's just bonus. Um, ironically, when you have a business, if you're a business owner, the more financially free you are, the more people want to pay you money. <laughs> <laughs> so the more you don't need the money, that's the time that everybody wants to give you money, right? It's the, it's the ir- irony of it. It's when you're most desperate, when you have business breath, as I call it, when you're so desperate for business, you're throwing out your business cards like Chinese stars, cutting people up. That's when nobody wants to pay you. Um, that's when you work five times as hard for the same money versus someone who's relaxed and confident and doesn't need the money. And that's when everybody wants to pay you. So it's, that's kind of what it's like now. That's so true. And, and for the winners that are young guys, you know, I feel like it, this story comes up, you know, whether it's told through a different lens, it's you get some money, you acquire some things, especially if you come from a humble beginning where, you know, dad's penny pension, where we're turning on the AC at certain levels, turning the heat in on certain levels, you attain a certain level of status and it's almost innate to put it out on display. Look at this hard work that I did. I busted my ass. This is what I got to show for it. Or it's the car, the house, the lady. We always want to put it on front street. And it almost, when you were telling the story, because of how rapid you ascended, you know, being in your early 20s to be able to get to the millionaire status, it almost kind of, I was thinking, I was like, man, life has a weird way of humbling us when something happens that's kind of, you know, a windfall where you, you kind of come up really fast. Because the second time around was a lot longer process for you to get back to where you eventually got to. But look at you now. I mean, you're 10x what you did before and you're happier, healthier, and it's just a different you know, whole space that you're in, I can see it. And I just want to talk to like the younger folks, like wh- what was that? Because obviously we're going to talk about that. You getting out of debt, but, like how do you change, make that shift from being that young kid, getting that humble pie and realizing that if I partner, if I open myself up, if I'm not so selfish, I'm not in competition with everybody else, I can win even more. Cause I think that's really what I saw happen is that you opened up your arms and said, I can get help in a lot of other places. I don't have to do this all on my own. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it, it was it was hard because when I was suffering, right, suffering in scarcity there and wondering what to do. At first, like when I was going in the hole, I'm like, I got an answer for this. I'm a smart guy. I can figure this out, you know. But I suffered silently, you know. I, I didn't. I didn't go to mentors. I mean, there was one guy I did go to, that same millionaire guy, but he he never been there before. He never had that kind of desperation, so he had a hard time relating to it. Uh, he, so he really. He couldn't, he couldn't really give me much advice that was that useful. 
So, I mean, there's, there was a time I was like, I, I don't know what to do. So at first it was like, I can make this. There's gotta be an answer. There's always an answer to the point of, oh crap. Like, uh, you know, now I'm getting, you know, foreclosure requests all the time on this house. I'm getting uh, creditors calling all hours of the day. You know, my wife at the time, she was talking about moving out with our young kids. She's like, maybe I should just move out until you figure things out. Kind of like the movie Cinderella Man with Russell Crowe, if you ever watched that, you know, where he was a boxer. Um, and she's talking about moving the kids out because they couldn't pay the heat bill. That was kind of my life at the time. I actually would watch that movie during that period of time and ball because I'm like, that's my life. I can't afford to pay milk. Like I was on welfare. Like I was seriously on welfare to get food. Okay. Um, it was bad. And, uh, and so it, it got to a point of despair. The thing that got me through was no, having, having the faith to know that there's a purpose in everything, that there are no accidents in life, like everything happens for a reason. And so I started switching from despair to gratitude to, I don't know how I'm going to get out of this, but I know whatever happens, it'll be worth it. And I, th- and I even had a vision in my mind of, you know, this, you know, made up person, right? I was like, you know what, maybe if what I'm going through is actually the thing that will help that one person help them through some hard mess like this, that would be worth it, you know? And so, so I was holding on to that, that tiny, tiny glimmer of hope right there. And yeah, collectors still called, but you know, I even changed it up a little bit. Like when the collectors are called, cause here's the thing, a lot of my friends, when they knew I was broke, they disappeared. And you start to find out who your real friends were. And so when the collectors called, they called every day faithfully. And so I call answering like they were my best friends. I was like, hey, how's it going? Good. We're here to call to collect a debt. Yeah, I know. So are you going to pay us? No, not today. I don't have anything. When are you going to pay us? No clue. All right. Um, so what do we do? Well, keep calling because, uh, I mean, you'll get paid eventually. I just don't know when. All right, we'll call back next week. I hope so. Bye. Click. You know, I, I started calling them I love you calls, right? Because I'm like, hey, they're just calling to say I love you, you know, kind of like Stevie Wonder, you know, but, <laughs> you know, it was, it was kind of cool because I was like, this is awesome. They're calling me now. And, and yeah, I didn't have an answer for them. I didn't know how to get out of it. And of course, there would be times I'd feel the weight of it and the pressure. I'd start to, you know, go into despair again. But then I was like, no, come back. Like, there's, there's got to be an answer. And it's funny, during that period of time, I remember playing like Kiyosaki's game, Cashflow. I even played Cashflow 202 because you go bankrupt more, more easily in that game. I played it over and over. And I started to learn, you know, I started to realize that my whole situation was about how to get resourceful. So the number one thing I focused on, and this is true for any business owner or even if you're uh, an employee, it doesn't matter. Um, the real way to creating money, right? This is true even investing. The number one way to create more money is to figure out how can you create more value for more people? It's always about like dollars follow value you create for other people. That's, that's really all it is. I, I remember as a financial advisor, money seemed mysterious. But once I got out of the rat race the first time, I learned that key thing, that key principle that dollars follow value. You know, if you always figure out a way to create a win, you know, for people, always try to find that win win or help give, you know, serve people, solve problems for them or do something to add value. Money is the easiest thing for people to exchange with you to get that in their life. So the real question you have to ask yourself is, what can I do to make myself invaluable in somebody else's life? What can I offer? What kind of service can I give? It could be something that you're really not that good at. You know, I mean, I was trying to do every little thing I could just to get some dollars coming in, you know, and, you know, if it meant 
if I had to mow a lawn, great, I mow a lawn. Now I didn't mow a lawn, but there was times I did things, you know, there were just simple menial tasks or in exchange for sometimes food, you know, I'll be like, hey, I'll clean for you if you give me some food or whatever it might be, right? Or, hey, we'll have a party, but I'll cook it. You guys provide the food. So then we have a party and cool, we got fed, right? Or something like that, you know, like something just to try to exchange value. I, heck, I did stuff that even didn't pay me a dime. I just, I knew that service, uh, even just serving people, like I'd help people, neighbors move in. I wouldn't get paid for that. I would just do that because I knew I was trying to create what was called, I, I call at least karmic debt, right? You know, karma, you know, you, you give, you give and you receive, right? I was trying to create a karmic debt to where karma had to pay me back. So I was trying to serve any way possible. It was always like, how can I create value for you? What can I do to serve you? How can I solve problems for you? And while doing that, at the same time, I was learning to become more resourceful. I learned ways to pay off debt creatively, how to find cash. And funny enough, that became a whole cash flow process that I created for clients who at the same time say, Chris, I want to pay you to help me with my money, but I don't have the cash to pay you. And I remember seeing their situation, their financial situation thinking, dang, well, they're a better situation than I am because I'm right now a million dollars more broke than the homeless guy on the street. So um I, I, so I just told them, I wouldn't tell them that up front, of course. I wouldn't say I'm broke. Uh, I would just say, hey, if I can help you fund the money, would you pay me? I said, well, of course. I said, great. Here, you do this, this, and this. Move money around here. Do this and this. And boom, there you go. Um, I remember I had a chiropractor in, in, in Manhattan. And uh, the chiropractor, he uh, hired us because he was in major cash flow troubles. So we were looking at his you know, business expenses and everything. I'm looking at his profit and loss. And I was looking at his personal money as well, his personal finances. And I said, Here's what we're going to do. We're going to take this credit card. We're going to use this to, to charge up for this. We're going to pay off this credit card, do this and this. He's like, Chris, this is BS. Like, yeah, we freed up $4,000 a month, but all you did is just move money around. You didn't actually get me more out of debt. I was like, listen, you don't have any money. Unless, unless you have a way to pull money out of your freaking butt, this is what I got to work with here, okay? So take it or leave it. Uh, at that point, he finally shut up. He stopped whining because he's like, I'll take it. <laughs> you know, four thousand dollars is four thousand dollars a month. Yeah, it's still four thousand bucks that gets him. You know, gets at least four thousand back in his pocket. He can say, "Great, now I can do something else with it." That would then would free up and help pay down some of those other credit cards, and he would free up exponentially more money every single month. Um, that was the goal, right? And then the, on the flip side, telling him, "Hey, focus on again going back to your business. How you be more profitable here? Focus on creating value. Doing the same thing I was doing to get out of the hole, and that's what I was doing as well, right? And so I was." Focus on paying down these debts and trying to pay people back, selling off whatever I could. It's amazing to find out like how much value you really have um, when you have nothing. You know, once you have nothing, that's when you realize you have everything. And as I all my stuff was gone, you know, I you know end up foreclosing on that house uh, right after my fourth child was born. We moved into another house. It was like a quarter of the rent. You know, and and starting over again and just saying, screw that, screw my ego. I already turned in my Mercedes. I'm now driving a three thousand um, dollar crappy little Toyota Corolla. That's why I get. That's what it's going to take to provide for my family and help out because you know my wife was busy with the kids. It was all on me, you know. And and eventually started to work my way back out of it. Uh, heck, even had a divorce in 2015 that set me back a little bit, but still by the end of 2016 was able to get out of the rat race by get myself out of the hole first. And then as I build up more cash to then invest and passively invest, I was able to get out of the rat race once again. So um, it's obviously it's way more complex and there's a lot more to it, um, but it is, it really is first and foremost mindset, you know, and really understanding that key, you know, and, and 
And by the way, I was being coached along the ways. Even when I couldn't afford to pay for coaches, I found ways to pay for people to do to help me out with stuff. And uh, and that gave me some perspective and gave me just enough to move to the next step. But I'll tell you, the number one coach that I really focused on during that time was God. I mean, it really was. I mean, that was a person I turned to a lot because that inspiration, sometimes it'd be that one little inspiration would be like, call this person. I call that person. It was at the perfect time. They're like, actually, I was going to call you. I, I actually need some help. Or it would be like, uh, you know, focusing on what do I do today? And even creating the whole debt pay down process came from me praying and seeking answers, you know, and, and no coach gave me that answer. Like there, there's nobody out there who was teaching that kind of strategy to pay down debt. But, you know, I was able, I, I could claim that it was all me. But the truth is I was inspired by God. And, and that's, that's important. He's got to make sure you're always seeking to be humble and then seeking for ways to get the higher learning. What, um, can you speak a little bit about back in 2015 when you went through the, the divorce? How long were you guys married for? We were married for 14 years. Okay. So she, you know, saw a lot of ups and downs, right? And oh yeah. You, you hit some home runs and, you know, when you're 28 and then, you know, hit some rock bottoms and then back, back, back up. Um, I'm, I'm real curious. I'm, I'm a product of divorce and, uh, you know, I think a lot of the listeners, you know, can, can share some of those, uh, similarities, whether they've personally been divorced or parents have been divorced, et cetera, et cetera. Was it something that you guys just grew apart? Was it something that came by surprise, you know, cause you guys have been through so much and to, to hear you, yeah. you say you got, you got divorced in 2015. I'm just curious, were there some mistakes that you feel, you know, comfortable enough to share or maybe some lessons from, you know, something uh, that life changing? Yeah. You know, it wasn't overnight. That's for sure. Um, she now her perspective it felt like it was but that's because you know as a guy you feel like you could just try to you know again that ego comes in sometimes that masculine energy comes in you think you got to figure it out um you know if you're not happy we'll just deal with it you know that's that's life and um and that was i mean we were struggling in our marriage quite a bit for really 10 years previous to that um even before a lot of these these stresses came in the stresses did not help that's for sure um and i put her through a lot i mean she's someone who wanted stability and I'm an entrepreneur and, uh, and she was going through all those ups and those downs. Um, and it was hard on her. Like it left a mark. It left a mark on me too. I mean, a lot of those things that I went through, um, I mean, there was a time that I was, you know, had a fear of poverty. I didn't want to be in that place again. Um, now I've kind of moved past that fear and now it's just more what looking forward to versus looking back in the rearview mirror. Uh, for her, there was a lot of looking back in the rearview mirror. It was tough. And, uh, and so I don't blame her for a lot of the, stress that I put her through. And not to mention in 2012, I left the company that I helped create to go launch Money Ripples too. So I left, had started from scratch. She was hopeful, but of course there's all the ride. You know, you have those good months and those bad months, right? There's that inconsistency when you're starting out and you're just working tons and tons of hours. She's not feeling supported and things like that. So, uh, you know, anyways, I mean, long story short, um, yeah, it was, it was tough on her, you know, and uh, it was tough on me. And, and of course, when you're like, hey, we're just trying to dig out of this hole, you know, you sweep stuff under the rug, you don't get the help you need. And, uh, and I think if I were to go back and in time and do things again, it would be getting help sooner. You know, like, yeah, you know, going for professional help, getting that marriage counseling versus at the end when it's already falling apart, you know, um, that would have been better. But of course, you know, I didn't do that. I was just like, ah, I'll work my way out of it, you know, and that's just a bad thing to do is, you know, I would have been best saying, let's get that counseling. It's well worth it. I mean, heck, I mean, the thousands you spend on attorneys and everything else, 
marriage counsel really isn't that expensive when you think about it. You know, if you're paying them hundreds and hundreds of dollars, that's better than paying thousands or even tens of thousands. Or if you have a lot of money, you could be paying hundreds of thousands of dollars in their divorce, you know? So it's, it's nothing I would wish on my worst, worst enemy for sure. But um, I'll tell you what is interesting though. And what also kind of, um, you know, I, I didn't realize at the time, but what changed after my divorce was the fact that once the energy was gone, because she had a, 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 she she really struggled with a lot of scarcity. I didn't realize how empathic I was that I could feel people's energy that much. Um, I remember I was sitting working in my office when I'm starting to launch Money Ripples, and I could feel her desperation, and scarcity back there of like, "Hey, we're going to be okay? Are we going to repeat what happened in 2008? Is it going to happen again?" And so all those fears come up, and you have a good month, and she feels great, and she goes and buys all the groceries and everything, and then bad month, all of a sudden she gets scared, you know, and. I would feel that desperation and it would affect my work. Um, once I got away from it, it was amazing how much more uh, my business launched <laughs> after not having those fears. You know, and I didn't realize they weren't me. Uh, I was feeling somebody else. Um, so again, I'm not a proponent of divorce. I think if you can work it out, find ways to make it work. Um, but um, I will say this, if you're single right now and you're looking to get married, it's very, very important who you marry. It's probably one of the most important financial business, uh, life decisions you'll ever make in your life because, you know, the, any baggage that comes with that, um, with the other person and with yourself, right? All those things gets thrown into that marriage and it can either lift you up and make you greater or it can bring you down too. So you have to be careful. Man, I, um, you know, Keita, I really love how genuine Chris is, right? You know, that, that question that I asked was, uh, you know, you didn't have to be that transparent. So it wasn't I, a softball question. Yeah, no. And, uh, you know, it's part of the conversation. <laughs> You're like, really, Chris, you should not have shared so much. That yeah, was a little, no, no, man. Like, dude, <laughs> you know, we've had guests cry on the show. Like we, we try to get really transparent, right? Cause this is real shit. You know, this is real life. Yeah. Building a business, dealing with kids, dealing with baby mamas, dealing with divorce. Um, that's just part of life. Right. And, uh, these kinds yeah. of conversations, you know, if it can just help one person, um, that's, that's the name of the game. So, you know, as you're telling the story, Chris, I, I thought about a conversation that I had and I want to relate it to you and tie it to the audience. But I was speaking at an event in California this last weekend and I was having dinner with the other speakers and, and one of the speakers, um, big, big shot real estate player, um, you know, manages a couple hundred million in uh, multifamily deals out in Florida. He's, you know, in his sixties, you know, well-versed, crushing it, full of wisdom. And yeah. he goes on to say when he invests into one, he says, I don't invest into the business. I invest into the jockey. And I've heard that line multiple times. Obviously he cares about the sector and the industry and things of that nature. So don't take it, you know, for, for word for word, but but, you know, he's essentially yeah. saying like, I'm investing in the founder. I'm investing in the, the person running the show. And he's like, one question right. I always ask is tell me about your biggest failure. He's like, I don't want to invest into somebody, a company that hasn't gotten their teeth knocked in. He's like, I want to mm -hmm. know how they responded to failure because we all deal with it. And that's what you've been really, really good at about sharing with, with the, the listener is, you know, being vulnerable and transparent with, you know, your L's that you've taken, but dude, I mean, each one of your L's that you've taken, you've been able to learn a ton and you're freaking kicking ass and taking names, those gray hairs, you've earned them. And, uh, you know, now, now it's all about you just enjoying life, running marathons and not having stress financially, but winners remember 
if you're getting your teeth knocked in right now, if you're taking L's, if you're going through some hard shit, just remember like there's other opportunities on the other side of that, right? Like look at Chris's story. He didn't just take one L, one setback. He took a few, right? I mean, getting divorced, taking L's in 2008, 2009, then 2016. Um, so a lot of respect for you, Chris, and, and what you've been able to build and where you are today. Yeah, I appreciate that. And it's interesting you share that because it's, um, you have to kind of be authentic with yourself, right? You have to be honest. And, and I'm not saying I'm perfectly honest in all things. I know there's blind spots and things like that. But if you want to attract better people in your life, like you want, just like what you know, the guy you're talking to is talking about, right? You look at that jockey. You know, when I, I look for invest, you know, investors to, you know, invest passively with, it's the same thing. I look for the same thing. I want people to have good integrity that are honest, sometimes to a fault, you know, they're loyal, you know, th- those kind of people. And the only way you can find those people is to be that person. And it's the same thing if you're a business owner, you're looking for people to, to JV with or for the, the right kind of clients or customers. Same thing. You must become like those people. You know, you can't just hope to attract something you're not. You know, if you ever notice the people that have the most gambler mindset or they're the, the most, you know, biggest charlatans, tend to attract people just like themselves. They tend to hang out in the same groups, be with the same people, beat the same chests, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, that's why when I do go to mastermind groups, like for me now, a lot of my mentoring comes from being in masterminds, being with multiple people that I can talk to. And, and I like the groups that are just like that. They're real people that have integrity, that are good, honest, you know, really good, good people. I mean, no, no better way to say it than that. They're just great people that do good things in the world. And, uh, and those are the kind of people I like to surround myself with. And the funny thing is that the charlatans and people like that, I really don't find, they never find me. I don't find them. And I love it that way. And I hope that our worlds never really collide because they're not, they're not even, you know, vibrating at that kind of level. It's crazy what life gives you when you're aligned with your purpose, you know? You know, it doesn't yeah. put doesn't put the wrong people in front of you. It puts the right people in front of you. It's just your choice to make the decisions right to, get you where you need to go. That's right. Absolutely. So Chris, I know there's going to be some people that want to follow your, your journey and, uh, you know, want to learn more about your services and, and how they can work with you. What's a, um, what's the, the place to learn more about Chris? Where can people go to, uh, find out more about you? Easiest way is just go to moneyripples.com. You know, there's lots of free information on there that we give and education. We even have our podcast, the Money Ripples podcast we have that you can find on YouTube and everything else too, but everything else shows up on moneyripples.com. Cool. Cool. So winners, we'll put that website in the show notes and then, uh, you know, his, uh, Chris's social media handles as well. Um, his podcast is super tactical. Obviously Chris was able to share his wealth of experience in the financial space. Um, there's not too many financial advisors that do what Chris does in terms of, uh, you know, being rogue, obviously you don't hang your license up anymore, right? Like you don't practice that anymore. Like securities license. Yeah, I mean, I have life and health insurance yeah. licenses, but uh, my securities license I dropped in 2005 when I want to start investing yeah. in alternative investments. Yeah. I had to. Yeah, so, they make you. Oh, for drop sure, it. Finra and SEC. Right? Oh, yo, hey. Oh yeah. <laughs> so, so guys, you can't be doing doing the other side, brother. Yeah. For, <laughs> yeah. For, don't you dare get wealthy. No, we don't yeah. want that. Yeah. If, you're, if you're a financial advisor, we want you to stay broke like all the rest of your clients. <laughs> for sure. So, uh, winners, there's not too many people that you're going to get the old school and new school right. Old school Chris knows a lot about mutual fund stocks, the stock market 
it, him being licensed, he knows that game. But then obviously he's got a plethora of knowledge in, in the new school and alternative investing and cash flow and, and all that kind of fun stuff. So definitely follow his podcast. Uh, you can look at the uh, Money Ripples and we'll put his podcast in the show notes as well. Go check him out. And uh, he's, he's definitely a dude that, uh, you know, we endorse you guys checking out. So, uh, Chris, I appreciate your time, man. You, um, shared a lot of uh, helpful information and uh, I know our winners are really going to appreciate it. And, and winners show some love back, um, you know, go give Chris a follow. I know this episode helped you guys. So as always, you know, Keaton, I always appreciate your guys' reviews. If you guys can share this episode with a friend, um, you know, someone that you know can benefit from hearing from a badass like Chris, that, that means a lot to Keaton. I definitely, definitely. One thing I wanted to say before we get up out of here is it's real funny how, teachers we don't have like a, a lack of good teachers they just all became entrepreneurs you know because chris you're like the definition of a great teacher you know you've done it with your clients you do it now with your new, your old clients your new clients you did it on the show today you're just a great teacher and you mentioned it earlier like what do you actually like doing it's teaching so we don't have a teacher shortage in america or a teacher problem they're just all entrepreneurs you just got to find them on badass shows like this and go work with them directly you know so you can actually get and learn how to win amen yeah, i love it that's, amen yeah, that's a, that's a mic drop right there from uh, from Kita guys. So uh, you guys, as always, we appreciate your time. You could be listening to another podcast, but instead you listen to us. So uh, Kita and I do not take that for granted. You guys have a kick ass week, and we will catch you guys next week. Peace. Peace.